0: Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. Welcome to another session of The Art of Living, uh, wisdom gleaned from the letters of the Lubavitch on various subjects and topics. What exactly is despair? The Hebrew word yeush, loss of hope, despair, giving up. What exactly is that experience? What is this characteristic in the human being that gives into despair? The Talmud says that all despair comes from a lack of wisdom. In other words, despair could be described as the absence of wisdom, the result of a lack of wisdom. But what exactly is this, and how do we respond to it, and how do we treat it, and what is our relationship with this notion of despair? Of course, the Rebbe and Hasidus in general reject despair outright, It's treated as any unholy impulse might be treated. It is considered dangerous, morally, spiritually, aside from the psychological problem. It is considered unholy or godless. It comes not from a good place within the human being, but from a bad place. And therefore, solutions must be found to rid ourselves of the despair and to not allow it to come into our lives in the first place. We have a few letters here that deal with the notion of despair. But let's start with the most positive. This is a letter, 1979, written to a man who was the regional head of all the programs, I guess in New York. He was the regional head of the programs in the care of the mentally handicapped children. And it seems that he wrote to the Rebbe, asking for the Rebbe's opinion on the idea of a collective home for the, for the mentally handicapped. And the Rebbe's answer reads as follows. I'm, I'm reading from Hebrew and translating it as I go. In response to your letter in which you ask what my opinions are concerning the treatment and the education of children who are handicapped, and are jewish and you mention a number of the problems and issues that are being dealt with in the country first of all i need to uh, preface what i'm going to say with a very important point and that is that when we're dealing with a group of handicapped children it would be a terrible mistake a careless mistake to make any general statements concerning their treatment and to approach it from a collective or from a group perspective because every child needs a separate evaluation, an individual approach in order to reach the realistic goals that are possible for the individual according to his or her condition. That's true even of totally healthy children and how much more so children who are limited. And since this is so self-evident and so obvious, I am assuming that when you're asking for general opinion or a general approach, you're talking in the most general sense that will leave room for the individual approach that is so necessary in these cases. Particularly in our times when, sorrowfully, painfully, the society has not yet developed a proper understanding of human potential, and there's a problem with financial restrictions that don't permit a totally individual approach to each boy or girl. It is also painful to note the fact that very little attention is given, little at least in uh, comparison to what it should be. And therefore, very little is done in order to gain or to gather the money or the uh, manpower to be able to deal with this problem properly, now concerning the general approach, general attitude, I would suggest the following: the social worker, or the counselor, or whoever it is that is dealing or treating the uh, the handicapped, must begin with a very on the very firm foundation that the handicap is temporary and that there will come a time, without any doubt, that the handicap will improve, and improve in a significant way, to a significant degree. This approach, this uh, mindset, must exist regardless of what the diagnosis from the specialists are at the time. The reason for this approach, first of all, This is a condition, a necessary condition, for the success of the treatment of the handicapped child. Besides this, considering the advances that are being made every day in the field of medicine, in understanding human beings, and in methodology, there is no doubt that in this area too there will be great advances in the near future. And therefore, the very trust and confidence that this kind of improvement and advancement is possible gives the people who work in the field much more energy and enthusiasm. And therefore, we can expect that there will be greater improvement and greater achievement in the field. Just as the uh, counselor needs to have this positive expectation, the child, the handicapped child too, must be given the feeling in speech and in behavior on the part of the counselors that they should feel confidence and that they should not see themselves, God forbid, as cases and certainly not cases that are hopeless they should also consider their condition temporary and the counselor should make every effort to instill this feeling in the child needless to say we have to be careful not to exaggerate the expectations that in an unrealistic fashion because unrealistic expectations bring the exact opposite results of the ones that we're hoping for. There is disillusionment, there is the loss of trust and other undesirable results. But at the same time, there are certainly ways that can be found to increase the confidence and the hope of the child without being careless, without exaggeration. Part of this approach, which as far as I know has not yet been used is that some of the children themselves should be given responsibilities of leadership, like the heads of groups, the heads of clubs, without arousing jealousy in the others, and this can be done by appointing the leaders on the basis of age or unique achievement or obvious talent. Concerning the question of collective homes for people with handicaps, which, as you say, has been a, a, a controversial subject, this is to be expected, the controversy, because in our imperfect world, there are always two sides and there's always disagreement. At the same time, I trust, I believe, that the approach should be, as with all students who spend a part of their time as part of a group, either a school or a dormitory or a summer camp, and part of their time with their family. The Spending time with their family should either be daily or weekends, etc., and this can be decided only on an individual basis by evaluating the individual and determining which category they would belong to, either the daily or the weekly or some other arrangement. But they must spend some time at home as well as in the group. Needless to say, when it comes to Jewish children, we have to take into account their Jewish needs as well, which are unique to them. So, concerning Handicapped children who are Jewish, their Judaism should be taken very seriously in spite of the general attitude in which the people are very careless and pay little attention to this. It is painful to note that there is a mistaken notion among those who treat the handicapped, the Jewish handicapped, where they believe or they argue that it's not necessary to burden the Jewish child with a Jewish education on top of the education that they're receiving or the general education. To my thinking, this is a mistaken approach and damaging, particularly in light of what we said before. We have to avoid giving the child the feeling that he is different and that his Limitations are permanent. Consider a child who comes from a Jewish home. Usually there are brothers and sisters, there are cousins, there are friends, who are receiving a Jewish education and who are developed in their practice of mitzvahs and Judaism. Even in the more modern family, which is the case for most families in America who are not yet completely observant of all the mitzvahs, yet there is always a certain awareness, a certain atmosphere that is Jewish. There's an identity that is Jewish, that the Jewish child has. Now this handicapped child, seeing and feeling that he was separated and left out of this experience, of this atmosphere, of this identity, or when he finds out that he's Jewish and yet feels that he was excluded from all Jewish activity, from his own tradition, it stands to reason that this could cause serious damage that would be very difficult to fix. On the other hand, if the Jewish child is involved in Jewish education and in Jewish activity, not in some general and minimal way, but in the normal and actual observance, the performance of mitzvahs, of customs, of traditions, this will give him a feeling of connection as part of a group, of belonging, and it will give him an identity that he can hold on to, either consciously or unconsciously. And the truth is that even an unconscious feeling of security, an inner security, usually finds its way into the conscious mind as well, particularly if the counselor encourages that feeling. Understandably, I am fully aware of the arguments that will be raised against this approach, and that is that this will take a lot of money, it will take uh, training, a whole new way of thinking, and creating a whole new manpower, which don't exist at the moment. Now, the truth is that the real problem is not the conditions as we find them, but the cause that brought to them. And that is, because we don't have the thinking, we're not convinced of the importance of this approach. As a result of that, there is no great effort made to raise the means and to produce the people who will use this approach in their treatment of the handicap. So it's a really a self fulfilling prophecy. If the thinking would change, then the conditions would change as well. Now, all of the above might not be what you had in mind when you first wrote to me and asked for my opinion on collective houses. In spite of this, I felt a need. To bring up the point, not only because it needs to be said, but because it may also serve as a basis for solving or, or resolving the debate concerning the uh, collective homes. To conclude, I want to thank you for your positive and complimentary statement concerning the Lubavitch movement, where you say that you are impressed with the deep concern that the Lubavitchers show for the welfare of every Jew. Needless to say, such a compliment is appreciated and makes me very happy. But I must admit and emphasize that this concept does not begin with Lubavitch. It is a basic concept in Torah and in Judaism. And in the long past, in the distant past, our sages established the principle that loving your fellow Jew as yourself is the essence of Torah, with the emphasis on as yourself, since every person has a unique and special love towards themselves. In spite of all this, it should be said to the credit of the Lubavitch Shluchim and workers that they do do all they can to bring this idea, this golden rule of Torah, into practice. And they do this tirelessly and energetically. The Rebbe then gives them a blessing. May you merit that all of your efforts, sincere efforts, to help those in need, and particularly as the head of the movement for the improvement of the handicapped. In all of this you should be successful and you should be able to show great achievements in this field. Now, this is definitely a radical approach. Possibly since 1979 things have changed, but at that time there probably weren't too many voices in the field who would demand that anyone treating a handicapped child, mentally handicapped, should be convinced and should believe totally, fully, wholeheartedly that the condition is temporary and that significant or at least significant improvement is on its way. Once the Deb explains it, it seems so logical and obvious because the bottom line is that there mustn't be despair. We must not give up hope on anyone. Particularly, as the Rebbe says, we see great strides and improvements, new discoveries and so on, in all fields of medicine, and there's no reason that there shouldn't be the same in the field of mental health or mental uh, handicap. But the bottom line that the Rebbe keeps repeating in different ways in this letter, is that there will be improvement. Good things are coming. And this must be the attitude of the counselors and the social workers, and it must be instilled in the handicapped children themselves. They must think of themselves as on a path to recovery. And as far as Jewish children are concerned, the recovery should not bring a shock As the child improves, he should not find that he had been left out, that he had been living without an identity, that he was not considered a Jew among Jews, because that, too, brings despair. That could set the child back and do a lot of damage, as the Debbin writes in the letter. So this approach, this optimistic approach, is, I guess, in a way characteristic of the Debbin, in all areas and in all endeavors. And there's a fine line that we'll notice in this letter as well as the next letter. There's a fine line between optimism and unrealistic expectations. On the one hand, the Rebbe will insist that the opinion of the experts should be heard, should be sought, and should be followed. While at the same time, the Rebbe will dismiss the opinion of the experts in favor of a more optimistic view. So it seems like the Rebbe is saying, to be realistic, you have to follow the instructions and the directions of the experts in a given field. But that's if the experts are telling you how to improve the situation, how to bring about a healing. But if the experts have lost hope, if they're shutting down, if they're saying there's nothing we can do, here, we don't have to be limited by their limitations, even though we use their expertise to progress and to improve. So if they're telling us how to improve, we must follow their instruction. After all, they are the experts. At the same time, we need not be limited or handicapped by their handicap. If they can't see a more a brighter future, it doesn't mean that No one else should either. So whenever the experts are being negative, the Rebbe seems to disagree and to keep hope alive. When the experts are giving advice, when they're telling you how to heal, you have to follow their advice. According to Torah, you're supposed to seek the advice of the healer and follow their advice. Or in other areas, you seek the advice of the expert and follow that advice. In the other letters, which are a little more personal, The Rebbe is speaking about personal despair, and that comes in two forms. There is a spiritual despair, a religious despair, and there's a psychological despair. Very often, when people, from out of a religious pursuit, start to take stock of their lives and do some soul-searching and uh, get involved in the inner workings of their minds and hearts, This very often can lead to despair, to depression, to hopelessness. There is so much we need to fix. There is so much we need to know. There is so little time. There is so little talent and ability that when you start this new field, when you enter into this new horizon and take on this new challenge of the world of the Spirit, it's very easy to become discouraged and to fall into despair. But of course that's true of any new project. Any time you undertake, any time you enter into a new frontier, there's always that moment of discouragement where you're overwhelmed. There's too much you don't know, and there's too much to know. So uh, the medical student, or the physicist, or the psychologist, when they first enter the field, must be overwhelmed by the amount of learning that is necessary to master the subject. But that feeling of despair should be rejected and resisted because it's really not the end of the line. It's an indication that you're about to start a great new project which at first must be intimidating. So that's the religious uh, despair which the Rebbe addresses in his letter. And then there's the psychological. There's simply the weakness of character, the fearfulness that uh, brings us to despair when we feel that our problems are overwhelming, that we can't handle it, that we can't, we don't have the strength to deal with life's dilemmas and with life's disappointments. And that demands a whole different approach and a whole different answer, different advice than the despair that comes from the religious discouragement. In both cases, the Rebbe offers encouragement, advice, and blessing, as we will see in the next letter.